Hey all, again this is Katie Nakamura Ringers, Episcopal Staff Officer for Church Planting. Today I'm having a conversation with Bishop Gretchen Reberg, who was consecrated in 2017 as the Bishop of Spokane in Washington State. One of my favorite things about Bishop Gretchen is that before becoming a priest, she was a professor of organic chemistry and served as an EMT firefighter. Among many other things these days, she serves on the task force for church planting and redevelopment. We're talking about the posture of a diocese when it comes to church planting and mission. What does it look and feel like from a bishop's perspective to send someone out into God's mission field? This conversation is part of our virtual Genesis gathering event in October 2020. Want to talk more with Bishop Gretchen? Jump on our Zoom call. They're called Coffee Break Conversations. This one is on Thursday, October 22nd from 1 o'clock to 2 p.m. Eastern. Watch your email for that link or email me for it at kringers at episcopalchurch.org. I was wondering about this kind of this theme of sending and being sent. And um, you're, a, you're a somewhat new bishop. With, um, yep. And, and so I, I wonder if you, you know, thought about kind of that transition that you've made and how um, maybe how being a bishop has, has influenced the way you think about being a sender um, in, the, in the realm of church planting and missional development. Yeah, one of the biggest changes between being a parish priest and being a bishop is you're one step removed. And, and and so one of the things I've had to learn to do is rather than jump in and say, I'll do it, right, to say, who goes, who needs to go, who, who should be doing this ministry, and how do I equip them for that? And so that's a shift in my thinking that, that goes from being priest to bishop. And it's interesting because it parallels directly the shift that I had to make that went from being firefighter to a lieutenant in the fire department where all of a sudden you're not on the hose line. You're, you're sending the people and, and you're going with, right. But you're not doing the work per se. Um, and there's, or it's a different work, I should say. So, so that's an interesting sort of, um, how do you, how do you know the work that has to be done? How do you know the right people for it? How do you walk with them in that? All of that is, it's similar in parish ministry, but I think as bishop, you're just one step back and you're looking at the bigger picture as a whole. You're looking at the entire diocese and saying, where strategically is it we need to send somebody now? And I think about the diocese of Spokane and I could easily identify four places to plant a church right now, but we don't have the resources for that, right? Unless we're going to say, go do this um, and you're on your own and there's no money whatsoever, but good luck. And, and we can do that, right? I'll walk with you. I'll pray for you. I'll do whatever I can. Um, but but I think about it in terms of, so what's the strategy? And how are we going to best live into the call of Jesus to go? And I think about it in terms of, uh, Jesus called us to come and then tells us to go. And I think that's a constant cycle in the church. We come in, we're fed, we're nourished, we're, we're challenged, uh, we're stretched, and we're sent. And, and part of the job of the bishop, I think, is to remind people of that sent part, because a lot of times 
people really want to stay comfortable. And I get it. The world right now is, I mean, 2020 is becoming the curse word, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so 2020. <laughs> you know? um, and, and yet we're also, we need to recognize that, that Jesus said, go. So he said, come, and he said, go. And it's that constant cycle. And, and then the other thing I think the bishop can really help with is to remind people that when they're sent out to do the work God has given us to do, we're not sent out to bring God into the world, right? We don't go to the communities to bring them Jesus because they don't have Jesus. But Jesus is fully present, right? That's not our job. And our job is not to go and save people or, or to convince them to do things our way. Our job is to walk alongside and be the gospel and be the good news and find the gospel that's already there and work with that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm hearing you say, I mean, a bunch of different things, but um, kind of in that role of being the being the sender, there's a piece of it that's um, yeah, kind of defining 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 the job seeking out Jesus in the world, right. And companioning. Right. And then, right. and then the piece of, um, of tracking the resources, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Cause that's where, that's where church planters and bishops can get tangled up a little. Right. So, so I have a, a priest in my diocese who has said to me, we have plenty of money. We just need to allocate it differently. All right. And that's, I think there's where the challenge always is for everybody in our life, right? We, there's God has provided abundantly. How do we, how do we use that abundance? How do we use, and how do we live into that? We have enough. The challenge is, is that the needs and the desires are overwhelming at times. And so what's going to be best for the diocese as a whole is not always what's going to be best for one particular location. And I think that the challenge of the bishop is to have that bigger picture and to have the vision of looking down the road five, 10 years and saying, um, how do I equip this place to be really healthy when I'm no longer here and, and the clergy are no longer here? So it's a, it's a turnover. And it's not just the clergy, laity come and go as well. Um, and I don't mean they leave the church. I mean, I, I know in the congregation and the academic community, people leave to go work elsewhere. Um, so it's, it's how do we understand that we're the caretakers now? And part of that caretaking is building for the future. But on the diocesan level, you have to think about building for the whole diocese, not just one particular location. And that means at times making really hard decisions about allocation of resources, not because something is not worthy of the funding, it's that the funding is just not there for everything we want to do. And then sort of say, how do we find funding other ways? So Diocese of Spokane has been really successful getting a Lilly Grant. And we have another Lilly Grant in the hopper trying to get a second one. And we've got Rowan Ridge Grants and, um, you know, any grant out there we're going to apply for. And, but you can't live off grants or you're, I mean, the nonprofits do this, but it's a really dangerous way of living. So trying to also build up other ways of, of diocesan supports um, and then really have it setting the priorities. And sometimes, the individual uh, mission, mission developer, church planter has a clear vision and a priority. And it's just not necessarily um, as high in the priority for the diocese as they want it, as, as I might even want it to be. But there's the tension. And so I think what's really, really critical 
is that there be a really clear understanding before anything gets is started. So if I'm going to send somebody to do work, I need to know that I have the resources to back that person up, however I'm going to do it, and that everybody understands what that looks like, and that there's been real clear understanding on the Austin Council level and standing committee level for what this means. And, and so we don't just say, go and have fun. Um, and, and you can do that if it's clearly understood. That's what you're doing, right? But it needs to be clearly understood. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm wondering if you have, is there a... Um like a, a, a biblical text that you think about and um, maybe especially as you move into this role of like being, being the Bishop sender. So of course, Luke 10, right? So Jesus sending out the disciples in pairs and saying, go. So, and, it, and it says all those places that Jesus himself intended to go. And in my mind now, it's all those places Jesus himself is. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and, and go in pairs and don't take, anything extra and offer peace and stay in a house that, that, you know, if the peace is there, stay there, eat whatever's set before you. And I, I view that really clearly as don't look for something better, right? Don't, don't try to bring your own stuff. Eat what's set before you is Jesus is already present here, right? And, and God is present and how you partake and walk alongside that and not impose your own ideas and sense of, of what it should be. Um, but your whole job is to proclaim the kingdom and offer peace. And you do it in pairs. I think that's one of the critical things we sometimes forget is Jesus never sent anybody out by themselves. And the church at times tends to send people out by themselves. And we need to stop doing that and always have teams. And what, it doesn't have to be too clergy, right? But it has to be teams. And, and that sense of being dependent on the generosity of others, being dependent on the abundance of God, knowing that God walks with us, that God is present where we are. I think that's critical. And that's, that's a passage that we um, dwell in at times, dwelling in the word. Um, but we, I, every time I go back and I read that passage, pray that passage, I, I see something new. That's really for, for me. You just made me wonder something new about that passage, which is, I, do, you, do you think the disciples chose their partner or do you think Jesus like numbered them <laughs> off in twos, you know, and said, you know, John, like you really need Barnabas. I know right. you'd rather go with James, but you know, these gifts complement each other. Um, that's a great question, Katie. I, that's a great question. I've never thought of that question either. Like, um, like choose your best yeah. friend or was it more of a top down, you know, I kind of sense what's good for you. Um, Probably a little of both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been talking about this a lot and how we really need to have teams and we have, we really stress that even parish ministry, just normal old parish ministry needs to be a mutual partnership. And it, it's, it's not about, and I, I don't want to dismiss the roles and the, and the hierarchy that does exist in the church, but the hierarchy is not there as power over. Hierarchy more in the order of, of if you make a stool, Right there's a per the, the person can only make a stool if the wood allows it, and and what do I mean by that? If you use the wrong type of wood, you can't make a stool, right? But the purpose is to make the stool, and that really sidetracked everything. But but I, I what I mean by that is that the, any hierarchy that exists is for the purpose of the gospel. It is not ever for the purpose of just um, a, a structural power. 
right? And so the role of the warden, the role of the treasurer, the role of the rector, all of those roles exist for the purpose of supporting, nurturing the people of God and proclaiming the gospel, right? And so when that works, when they're all working together, it's a beautiful thing. And when it doesn't work, that's when we have problems, right? And so really, and I, I think part of this comes from the fact that I, I prefer team sports, right? I, I don't exercise at all unless I have a partner. Um, so, so for me, it's also just my own personality. I want a partnership. Um, and, but also just really realizing when, when God called Moses, God, Aaron was there, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus sent everybody always in peace. You know, the, the lone ranger prophet is, is killed. Maybe he says good things, but that gets killed. So how do we, how do we not kill ourselves? Right. Right. I think also that story of, um, is it Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Timothy? I don't remember. Anyway, and, and acts of the apostles, they go off like the, the body of Christians sends them off yep. somewhere. And yep. then they run into a little bit of trouble because they're preaching the thing about, um, uh, all foods being clean, I think right. that's what it is. And then um, I think people in that area are kind of like throwing a little bit of a fit about it, saying, oh, yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> and then the broader body of Christians send some of the other elders to go say, they're what good. What are you doing? Yeah. 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 It's all good. We ba- right. we're, we're backing up Paul and Barnabas. And, and of um, course, the council in Jerusalem made Paul come back and justify it. But, but, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. He has to come back and, yeah, kind of justify what he's doing. Yeah. And I, and I actually think that's, that's not a bad thing, right? If you're out there doing something different and something new, can you back it up? Can you say, this is what we're doing and why? And, and convince the church that you're doing the right thing. I mean, often we make, we're joking. I don't know if I should say this, um, but I was talking with some other bishops about we do things. Then we talk about the theology that allows us to do those things. But theology is a, re- a second-order activity. It's a reflection on our experience to begin with. And so we need the people that are out there pushing the boundaries, pushing the edges, but they also need to be held accountable. They need to come back and say, by what justification do you do this? And when they give the justification and then the Spirit's present, the Spirit says, yep, that's right. Okay. Yeah, so. And in some ways that feels like a, a nice safety net um, to me yeah. as somebody who has church planted. Um, you know, every time there's a, a bishop election, and we just had one in, in Alabama, people uh, start complimenting their favorite priest by saying, <laughs> you should be the bishop. And right. I'm about three people's favorite priest in, in the Diocese of Alabama. So there was some like, Katie, you should run for bishop. And I was like, I think I might be the reason we have bishops. Like, you know, it's so that it's so that there is somebody um, who holds accountable and kind of says, here are the, here are the guidelines, here are the parameters, play within those. Um, And there's some, maybe, maybe this is part of my personality, which um, enjoys pushing those boundaries, but, but really not wanting to loving the tradition enough that I don't want to just, knock them down. Yeah. One of the things that I've tried to say here is that there are rumble strips on the edge of a 10 lane highway that tell you when you're going across what needs to stop, but it's a 10 lane highway. 
And the rumble strips aren't going to stop you. They're just warning you, right? And, and so how do, we, how do we have the freedom and flexibility that we actually have in the church that people don't think we do? And then hear those rumble strips to know when we're going off. And then decide, do I keep crossing that rumble strip or not? And then be willing to live with the consequence if we do. I, I myself, I, when I became bishop here, I mean, I was raised up out of the diocese, so everyone knew me. Um, but I said, I, I'm a permission, not a forgiveness bishop. And the reason for that is I want to have your back. and I can't have your back unless I know what you're doing. And I will almost always grant permission. right? And even the rare time when I had said no, it was no, but do this and it's fine. You know, there was just, they're looking at a Eucharistic prayer that had no epiclesis whatsoever. No, you actually need an epiclesis, right? Um, but, but the challenge is, I can't, I can't support you if I don't know what you're doing. So let me know what you're doing. And I think that goes back to that sending piece. Have I send you to do work? I want to have that check-in. I want to be able to support you. I want to walk with you. And I can't unless I know what you're doing. Right. Um, you know, you've been, you've been on the task force and reading grant applications and um, kind of in this church planting mindset. Um, Gretchen, have you, have you, thought about are there certain strengths of the Episcopal church in terms of planting and, you know, missional development um, that just our, you know, our institution and our structure and tradition give us. And then the converse of that is um, are there, are there things about our tradition that are holding us back? So um, let me tell you two stories to start this conversation. Um, My, my grandmother once told me, that everyone that should be an Episcopalian already was. Right? That is absolutely not a church planting statement. In my first parish as a priest, uh, one of the senior wardens when I was there said, I know everybody in this congregation I need to know. That is not a church planting statement. right? And so there is a level of institutional comfort with how we do things, with who we are, with the properness of our our sense of who we are, that absolutely gets in the way. We also, and I don't know whether this is the Episcopal Church or this is, um, at least for a period of time, the culture of where Episcopalians came from, that whole sense of the politeness of you never talk about religion, money, politics, etc. Well, that gets in the way of church planting, right? If I'm not going to have an open conversation about my faith, how are you going to invite anybody into your faith? Uh, when I did my sabbatical and I, I asked people, what does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And nobody had ever been asked that before. That gets in the way of church planting. When I was talking to a person, an, an old priest of the diocese who I deeply respect, who said that when he was a young curate in Minnesota, they would have people register for, vacation, for Sunday school in the fall. And if you didn't register, there probably wouldn't be a spot. And he said, what has happened? And one of the things I said is, you know, no disrespect to you. You've been a great priest. But I grew up in this church and nobody, I never remember hearing why it made a difference. But that gets in the way of church planting. So, so let me just start with what gets in the way. Our, our, we were a state church and we still think about ourselves in many ways as a state church even though we're not, right? I mean, the fact that we'd say it's the National Cathedral implies a state church mentality. 
Or if you're a state church, you're, you're the church for the whole city, but you don't really have to have the city come to you. So, so all of that. And yet, at the same time, at least, I mean, in my diocese, I can say we were a missionary district. We were sent. We had, we had a bishop was sent out here to, to start things and, and gather the people and, and go from town to town and preach the gospel and to invite people into a way of life that is a way of life of following Jesus. Let's reclaim that. Let's understand that we're not asked to be followers of Jesus for our own just comfort and, and our own sakes. We're asked to be followers of Jesus for the sake of the world. And what does that look like? So we have that in us. We just need to reclaim it. And we need to, we need to remind people why it greatly matters that we follow Jesus. And then, and then to remind our own people, right, why does it matter that the Episcopal Church exists? And I think there are some really valid points to that. We're one of the few places that have the totality of the sacraments and yet also are open and affirming and inclusive. And, and we fail at that in many times, but we are that at the same time, right? Um, that we, we struggle and we try. We can, we can, our intellectual side can get in our way and it can help us, right? So how do we take the things that also are problematic and turn them into our strengths? Um, we have a rich liturgy and we can worship the liturgy in a bad way. Or we can say, part of what our liturgy does, part of what our sacraments do, is to remind us that God comes to us in the physical world, that physicality matters, that the ordinary things of, of everyday life actually can be made holy. We don't talk about that often enough. Um, I don't think we proclaim boldly enough for the power of the Eucharist, right? The fact that literally, we say literally, Christ is really present in the bread and wine. And if we understand biology, God becomes part of us in a physical, real way. We're not talking just spiritual. We're talking the reality of the physical nature. You can never be separated from God, ever, ever. What does that mean, right? Do we, do we understand that? Do we claim that? Do we proclaim that? Do we see others that same way and say, God is literally there? That's all present. We can be doing that if we would just hold on to that and know it. Um, the, the social gospel movement, the Anglo-Catholic, I mean, we, we forget that Anglo-Catholic movement came out of also the slums and the real sense of how do we take the beauty and the mystery into the slums where we already are, where we're working with the, the least and, and the people that have been forgotten and ignored. It's not just about smells and bells. It's really about um, the hard work of bringing the gospel to, to places where they feel abandoned. All of that's there. So. Yeah, to both ends, and it's something to overcome um, the, the challenges. But we could do it if we really wanted to. And I think that's the question. Do we really want to? Or are we only doing this because we are afraid that the church might be dying? Are we afraid that we need more people? What, what's our purpose? Our purpose is we fully believe we have a gift to offer this world that is necessary and that the way of Jesus is absolutely required for this world. And then we're going to find Jesus and offer Jesus, then we should be doing this. And I, I keep thinking, what, what does need to die so we can be raised again? You know, the, the cycle of resurrection, death and resurrection. And I grew up on a farm, so it's really easy to see death and resurrection. And, and um, I think we are disconnected from that cycle in our daily lives in this world today. But that sense of, you know what, some things have a life cycle and then they get done. And that doesn't mean it was not something that was good and holy and beautiful, 
but it's now done. And that's okay because something else will rise from it. I don't know about you, but I think the bishop said some things that beg for more discussion. Join in at 1 o'clock Eastern, that's 12 Central, 11 Mountain, 10 Pacific, on October the 22nd. See you there.